at Genesis chapter 4. We're going to read a story that you will relate to. It's real life. We face it every day. We wish we wouldn't have to. We wish we could escape. We wish it would be easy. Spiritual life just is not that way. In Genesis 4, we read a story about Cain and Abel, and it says in verse 3, In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soils and offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. It's a battle that's been going on since the very first family. And it's never stopped. It's the battle for righteousness. It's the battle for holiness. It's the battle against sin. And you know, as a minister, people ask, you know, how do you come up with what you're going to talk about? And there's various ways. You know, sometimes you just study A book of the Bible, and so you just teach that book, and whatever the Holy Spirit put in that book is what you cover. You know, other times, it's what I call the iceberg theory. That, you know, an iceberg, you only see 10% of it. The other 90% is below the surface of the water. And this is one of those sermons, because... I've got to tell you, over the last number of weeks, a lot of battles with sin have been coming to my attention. A lot of phone calls, a lot of counseling situations. And I believe sin and the battle against sin is a reality of the human life. And it's never going to end until the day we go to heaven. And yet, until that time, it's there. And I believe right now, in our ministry, is one of those times that God is exposing a lot. And it's sin that's destroying families, destroying lives, souls, marriages, close relationships. Relationships with God. It's affecting salvation. It's affecting our hearts. It's a battle that cannot be overlooked. And I was thinking about this sermon, and I thought, you know what? It's it's a lot like tug of war. Anybody in here ever done tug of war? You know, most of us. 
You know, tug of war, there, there's games like AYSO that can end in a tie. In fact, in the early stages, the four and five year old soccer, they don't even keep score. Now, everyone does. But official policy is there's no score. There's no there's no winners. There's no losers. But just ask the parents on the winning side. They know who won. You'll hear them talk about it. You know, sports can end in ties or no result. You know, I I laughed. I was talking with one of the dads and and uh He's got a young daughter in early elementary school and, you know, and he was talking about different grades. And I said, well, and he, he talked about these letters. And I go, well, what do you mean? Don't they get like an A, B, C, or D? Oh, no, they, they don't give out grades because that could be discouraging. You know, I think sometimes in life we, we want to create a life where there's no winners, there's no losers, just everybody kind of keeps going and we're all happy together. But if you've ever been in a tug-of-war competition, you realize this analogy. You see, it's a battle that you are either going to win or you're going to lose. There is no tie. In tug-of-war, you can give up, but you lose. You can say, I'm tired of pulling on the rope, but you lose. You can say, it's too hard. So what? You say, I've been pulling for hours and it feels like nothing's going to happen. You know, the battle with sin that God talked about with Cain is the same battle that you and I face every single day. And he said to Cain, it desires to have you, but you must master it. God told Cain, tying is not an option. You must win. You must overcome. You cannot give in. There is no other choice. You will win it or you will lose. This morning I ask you, are you winning? Or are you losing? Now we're going to talk about teammates today. Because you know there's two teams you don't have a tug-of-war with three teams. It's just two. It's the one pulling your direction and the one pulling against you. Well, so we're going to talk about our teammates. First of all, what's, who's our first teammate? The first teammate we have is a soft heart. Now, who's the counterpart on the other side? Their jersey wears sin isn't that big of a deal. Go to Jeremiah chapter 6. About the middle of your Bible, 
right after Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. You know, we live in a society that says, I mean, sin, first of all, I mean, who can really define sin? Because there is no real truth. It's just whatever it happens to be in your life. You can't define it for anybody else. And so really, what, what is sin in the first place? And that way of thinking can affect God's people. And that's what was going on here in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 13. He says, From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. Are they ashamed of their loathsome conduct? No, they have no shame at all. They do not even know how to blush. So they will fall among the fallen. They will be brought down when I punish them, says the Lord. The condition of Israel has gotten so bad that they lost their shame. They lost the ability to blush. And the spiritual leaders in their life, what was their sermon about? Oh, peace, peace. It's not a big deal. These are the people that knew God's word. And their Sabbath message was, hey, it's not a big deal. You're fine. Don't worry about it. You're living the good life. You know, God condemned their hearts because he said they, they, they stopped responding. Sin stopped being a big deal. You say, what kind of sin? Well, you got the outward sins. Immorality, impurity, fits of rage, greed, materialism, pride. But you know what? You got the internal ones too. Lust. Malice. Resentment. You see, the Bible says all that is wrong and will destroy your soul. And yet in the, in the battle for sin and righteousness, Israel had gotten to the point where their leaders were like, hey, sin's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. You're fine. This is the... Address the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Can you imagine having some gaping wound walking into ER and have them go, hey, no big deal, you're fine, just go home? You'd be like, what? I'm bleeding. Ah, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You wouldn't take that for an answer. Why? Because you know your life depends on it. How much more the human heart and the soul. So you go to the hospital because you're sick. You don't want them to tell you everything's fine. Oh, good, I got good news. 
The doc said I'm okay. No, if there's a problem, you want them to find it. You know, when the, in the whole scheme of life of what matters most, it doesn't matter whether we live or die another day or 30 years or 50 years compared to where we'll spend eternity. You know, you've got a powerful teammate that's pulling for you, and it's the one that says stay soft-hearted to sin. So what's it look like to be soft-hearted? Zero toleration of sin. All sin is bad. There is no bar of as long as I don't go beyond this, I'm fine. Any unrighteous thinking, feeling, or behavior is wrong. And if we cross that line, our heart is convicted and we want to do something about it. But on the other side of that rope is somebody saying, it's not that big of a deal. Don't sweat it. You'll be fine. Now, who's the second teammate? Oh, there's a powerful one. Pull it on your side. It's grace. Grace is powerfully motivating. In Titus chapter 2, Paul talks about what grace can accomplish in our life in the battle against sin. And in Titus chapter 2, here's what Paul says. Verse 11. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That's what grace does. True, biblical grace. Grace that says you got what you didn't deserve. Life is not fair. You deserve hell. You deserve to be punished. But Jesus died in your place. Life is not fair. God gives grace through the blood of his son. That connection motivates to live in such a way that you want to do what's right. Not because you have to, but because you want to. It's not a burden. It's a joy. You're so motivated by the opportunity that God has given you. How could you live any other way? Grace is powerful. And grace is on your side of the rope, motivating you to win the battle. But you know what? There's another opponent on the other side. And go over to Romans chapter 6. You say, who's on the other side? Well, on the back of the jersey, the name reads, Saved by grace, don't judge. You say, wait, I thought grace was on your side. Oh, it is. True biblical grace is on your side. You know who the opponent is? It's the one that says, hey, since I'm saved by grace, sin's not a big deal. 
and don't confront me. Don't judge, lest ye be judged. Always quoted in the King James. Romans 6, verse 1 and 2. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Grace is never meant to be a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's never meant to be a license to live however you want. You're going to make it through any way. Does grace work for you or against you? Does it motivate you to be righteous? Or does it lower the bar for righteousness? That's how you know what grace is doing in your life. Say, how do you feel about getting confronted on sin? What's your response? You know, if we're connected to grace, we should be so bothered by any transgression in our life, in our heart, in our mind, that somebody bringing it up to us would be like, oh, gosh, how did I miss that? You're right. Man, anything else you see, because I've been given such a great opportunity, I don't want to blow it. You see, if grace works against you, what you'll find is defensiveness, pride. Somebody brings something up in your life, and the first thing you'll think about is, oh, yeah, well, what's going on in your life? What gives you the right to challenge me? The grace of God is meant to motivate us to win the battle for righteousness. And how's it doing? The third teammate we've got, oh, it's powerful. You know, you get in that stalemate and you just feel like, you know, I got that sin and I want to overcome. Oh, that teammate, it's called openness. It's open. You come into the light. John 3 talks about it. Whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. They don't need to get caught. They initiate. They bring their life into the light. Openness. Numbers 32. You know, Moses is talking to uh, uh, the tribes east of the Jordan, and he's like, hey, and you guys got to arm yourself for battle, and I know we've already taken your land, but your fighting men need to do their job. They need to be responsible. They need to be committed to the whole group. They need to go after it, and then you can go back and take possession of the land. In verse 23 of chapter 32, he says, but if you fail to do this, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure that your sin will find you 
out. You see, there's a powerful foe on the other side. And on their jersey it says, no one will ever know. Openness. Openness brings light into the situation. It breaks the stalemate. It gives God a chance to work. And you say, well, what does it mean to be open? It means that you talk to somebody. There needs to be a few, you know, kind of conditions. You need to talk to somebody who will tell you the truth. Who knows how to be victorious in that area and will hold you accountable. I mean, the goal of openness is not just, hey, tell somebody something. I mean, how would that be? Yeah, I'm really working on something. There's a stranger on the plane from, you know, from Singapore to L.A. And right as we were getting off the plane... I said, oh, just want to let you know, hey, you know, I've been struggling with this. All right? Yes, I was open. Yep, if somebody asks, I can let them know I was open. You know, sometimes you, you hear, well, I've been open with God. Oh, have you? you? You mean the God that already knows every single thing you do and think already? Well, that's big. Now, openness is what we do to get help. God, God uses humans to bring about change in our life. Say, who knows what's really going on in your life? And I know what some of you are thinking right now. I've been open about everything. Here's the fourth qualification. That that person that you're open with needs to know everything. That doesn't mean tell 10% of what you've done to one person and another 10% to another and another 10%. So you get it all out, but nobody has a clear picture. That's openness. First Timothy chapter 5. Paul says something really powerful here is he's counseling Timothy. And Timothy is a young evangelist. And Paul's training him and how to help people and kind of discern situations. And he says in the end of chapter 5, he says this uh, in 1 Timothy 5, verse 24. He says, The sins of some men are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not cannot be hidden. So what's he saying? He says, sometimes consequences and judgment for sin that we commit is immediate. Other times, we get away with it momentarily. Now, do we ever get away with our sin? Nope. He said, just sometimes the consequences come later. And teens, 
listen to me on this, because you're in the greatest danger of this way of thinking. Well, I did this and I got away with it, so it must be okay. I'll be fine. You know, when, you, when you're older and you're in your 40s, your 50s, or older than that, you've experienced consequences. See, you kind of learn this lesson, but even sometimes us who are older fall into the same way of thinking and go, well, I shouldn't have done it, but, you know, I got away with it. All sin will be judged. It says your sin will find you out. God is amazingly creative how stuff gets revealed. I remember once in the days of answering machine, there was a situation where we were counseling and this brother was like, nope, completely changed, totally repented of this and this situation and, and uh, you know, having no further contact and, you know, I am being righteous. And the brother that disciples him had called him to leave him a message. And I have no explanation other than God is creative of how he exposed this. But the brother who called him somehow got an answering machine message left on his machine that was a recording of a message that he had played to the woman that he was not supposed to have any contact with. You go, now, wait, how does that happen? A message that he left for this woman gets left on this brother's machine. Exactly. And if you ever figure it out, let me know. But eventually God says, enough's enough. And it all comes tumbling down. You know, openness breaks the cycle. Say, who knows everything that's going on in your life. There's fourth teammate. Turn to Ephesians 4. That's the new self. They say, well, what's the new self? What do you mean by that? Well, we're going to read in Ephesians to define it. And I'll, I'll tell you, before we read the scripture, the opponent is the old self. Say, now, the only trouble in this battle is they both have the word self in it. And this can be one of the most powerful battles that goes on amongst the teammate in opposition because you are involved on both sides of the rope. Now, if you were trying to win the tug-of-war battle, why would you go to the other side and pull on that rope? You go, that wouldn't make any sense at all. No, it doesn't, which is exactly what Paul's talking about here. And he says, starting in verse 17, I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity... They've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with the continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, 
which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul says there's a battle that goes on inside of you of who's going to run the show. Who's going to be the final decision maker? The old self or the new self? Say, how do you know the difference? Well, the new self's created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Righteousness comes easy. Motivation is there. Spiritual thinking is very clear. Say, well, how do we recognize the old self? Well, it's corrupt, it's ignorant, it's hardened, it's sinful. What comes naturally to it is the things that go against God. See, now there's two of you fighting for control. You know, sometimes we struggle in our faith. And we want to blame something intellectually, but what... Paul says it's actually a moral issue. It says because sin and following the old self will make you ignorant. You'll lose sensitivity. And your heart will be hard. You know, the thing with this battle is what comes easiest is the old self. The one that will not present obstacles is the old self. The one where you will receive the most encouragement and immediate gratification is the old self. The one that doesn't feel weird is the old self. But see, to follow the new self will feel strange. So one of the problems with this is, again, one of society's, you know, uh, phrases, you got to be real. Which means, you know, if it feels weird, you shouldn't do it because you wouldn't be honest with yourself. You know what? That way of thinking can only follow one path, the old self. Because the new self has to feel weird. It has to feel different. Or it's not new. If you truly have to be real, meaning you can only do it if it feels natural, you have to be the old self. Because God's way, His thinking, His life, His actions are completely different. So really, it's not... To be real, it's to be godly. But who's winning the battle on the inside? Say, so if we're going to be different, it's going to feel different. If it doesn't feel different, let that be a good indication. The old self is running the show. So sometimes people are studying the Bible and, and they want to become a Christian. They want to, you know, experience salvation and conversion without being converted. You know, like somehow it's like going to Macy's and buying a new outfit. So you still have the old self inside, but you got different clothes. That's not conversion. 
Christianity is not a self-help program designed to make you a little better. It's total transformation. It's not easy. It's radical. You don't fit it into your schedule. It becomes a whole new life. You go, I'm too busy. Then get unbusy. Yeah, but I made commitments. Oh, see, you can flake on God to hold to a worldly commitment. No, we got our priorities backwards. If you're going to flake on something, flake on something worldly in order to honor God. Change your life and priorities. Live differently. It will never be easy. It will never feel normal. But if we're going to win the battle for sin and righteousness, we must be the new self. Final. Final teammate. This is the anchorman. You know, the anchor. Usually that's the biggest and strongest. And they dig in the trench and it's like, you know, they get that like little pit and it's like, okay, you just can't pull the anchor out. You know, who's your anchor? Let's go to First Peter. Last verse. First Peter. Verse 14 says, chapter 1, As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am. I'm holy. Holiness is your anchor. So what's the anchor on the other side? What's the counterpart? Good enough. You're good enough. You've changed enough. You've grown enough. You're righteous enough. You know, when you when you grasp the concept of holiness, you, you can't ever be satisfied with good enough. Because the issue is holiness. Holiness is being separate. It's being consecrated to God. Where every thought, every action, your entire life, every part of who you are is godly. And that's what we're satisfied with. We don't ever reach a plateau of going, hey, that's enough. You don't need to work on it anymore. We're going to work till the day we die. On issues in our life. Holiness says, oh, we, we, need to, we need to keep going after it. Because we want to be fully consecrated. But on the other side, the same, you, you've done enough. You've achieved a lot. No further work is necessary. Remember where we started with Cain? I don't think Cain wanted to be in that battle. I think Cain wishes he wasn't in that situation. But he was just living life, and Abel made a sacrifice, 
Cain made a sacrifice, and God was not fired up. And it shocked Cain, and he was mad. And God said, sin desires to have you. It is crouching at your door. But you must master it. He said, I didn't ask for this battle. I didn't want to be in the fight. God says, you must win. It's that important. Say, what will you do? What will your response be? Say, if there's stuff going on that nobody knows about, you need to find somebody who can help you. And you need to tell them before you leave. Do not say, I'll just call them tomorrow. Now that person's pulling against you too. Get open. You know what? The grace of God is so powerful. Never meant to be a license to sin, but should motivate us to be righteous. We need to be soft-hearted. Sometimes we've grown so callous to our sin that it takes some strong, emphatic lesson or confrontation by somebody who loves you to just register a little. Don't fight it. Let it be a window to what's going on. Embrace it. Get soft-hearted. Say, be open. Let the new self run the show. Oh, it's going to feel strange. So what? And finally, anchor yourself in holiness. That's what our goal is. We're not trying to be better behaved. We're trying to be holy, consecrated to God. It's a tug of war. There's no tie. Sin will not have a tie in your life. Now, there may be a period of time where the forces are pulling with the same strength and you're not gaining any ground, but don't let go of the rope. You must win. Your soul is at stake. I pray that each one of us will respond with urgency, with humility, and win the battle for holiness in our life. Respond today. Respond today because our souls are at stake. Amen. Let's stand as we close in the final song.